two, no baller. I am Chris Rawl. It is Tuesday, August 3rd. On today's show, I will dive deep into the unintended consequences of conference realignment. But before we get there, we have a tradition on this show. One reason every single day why gambling should be legal in the state of Utah. Now, this is pertinent because Utah in and of itself loves traditions. We just wrapped up Pioneer Day where we all doff our caps to the pioneers who ate one another in the mountains. We have parades. We go down to the carnival. It's a whole tradition. And in this state, we have another tradition. It's betting on our local lad, Tony Finau, professional golfer, to win a golf tournament. Now, this is funny because Tony Finau has won one golf tournament in his professional career, the 2016 Puerto Rican Open, an opposite field event. Betting on Tony Finau to win a tournament, it simulates kind of the pioneers gnawing on one another in the mountains. That's how I feel as a gambler. However, I'm going back to the well because I love tradition and I love the state of Utah. Tony Finau, 40 to 1 to win the WGC FedEx St. Jude Invitational in Memphis this week. That is my bet. It is the greatest tradition in Utah that never works ever, not once. And we have our reason why gambling should be legal in this state because it is a phenomenal way to show state pride, even if you will definitely lose money. And now a word from our sponsor, Traeger Grills. With your Traeger invented the original wood-fired grill over 30 years ago in Mount Angel, Oregon. They continue to lead the industry as the world's number one selling wood-fired grill, perfected by decades of mastering the craft of wood-fired cooking. You can find out more at TraegerGrills.com. There is a very strange aspect to the sport of college football right now. With the season approaching, it's less than a month away, nobody is really discussing football. Now, this is kind of tied into what's going on around the sport. You have your name, image, and likeness stuff. You have players getting paid. Everybody's trying to work out the kinks of that, what it means to the sport, what it means to programs, all that kind of stuff. You have your COVID vaccination rates. You have each conference coming out and saying, this is what will happen if a team has to cancel because of COVID. This is a forfeit. It's not. All that kind of stuff. And the cherry on top of the Sunday, uh, the biggest story in all of sports right now, which is Oklahoma and Texas moving to the SEC, conference realignment, and all of the ripple effects that are tied into that. Now, if you remember, I recorded a show about that a week ago from today, last Tuesday. And I'll probably be recording more shows about it after today because there is so much that goes into this realignment scenario where two of the blue bloods of college football are leaving the Big 12. They're joining the powerhouse football conference, the SEC, 14-team conference is now a 16-team conference. The eight remaining teams in the Big 12, they're kind of left trying to determine what is going to happen. Are they going to stay as their own conference? They're going to poach other teams. Are they going to be poached by other conferences? All of that kind of stuff. There's so many moving variables that it is impossible to comprehend all of the effects that will happen within the next month, much less the next year or the next decade or the next few decades. It's all of the television money. It's all of the who gets left out, who gets chosen. Uh, and most importantly, which was kind of the basis of last week's episode, what is the future of college football? And how do you predict the future of a sport that is so damn murky in the moment? 
So I've been thinking about this a lot lately because college football has been my favorite sport for the vast majority of my life up until recently. And kind of a lot of things have shifted before this OU Texas news. And this is really kind of pushing it towards a similar place where I'm kind of coming to a place of acceptance with college football and where it's at. And this idea that we're seeing play out that greed really knows no bounds um, within college sports. And so all these big programs, they're just going to chase money signs over and over and over. You follow the money. We've seen it every single conference realignment. And I think people get wrapped up in, oh, this is going to mean more money for my program that I follow. And I think we discount that in the long haul, that doesn't necessarily mean what it's or what we think. Dollar signs don't really translate to you now have a better football program. Just ask a lot of the teams that have been a part of these conference realignment scenarios, including my own, Nebraska, who went to the Big Ten over a decade ago for dollar signs and is just kind of in the same or worse place than they were in 2010 when they left the Big 12. So I don't think it's hyperbole to say that the days of traditional college athletics are over and whatever we're moving towards is something that is very different. So I want to read a quote to start today's discussion from Ryan McGee of ESPN. And this is a quote that comes from Nick Saban at SEC Media Days. What no one can predict, no matter how much they think they can, are the unintended consequences. A lot of us have been doing this a long time, and we can all take our best educated guess at what we think will happen when we implement a plan or idea. But until that plan or idea actually happens, and we see what happens because of what we ultimately decided to do, no one can honestly tell you what is going to happen. End quote. Now, again, that's Nick Saban talking at SEC Media Days. Uh, and this was actually not even necessarily strictly about conference realignment, but it's kind of a per- perfect encapsulation of what's going on. And this unintended consequences idea, I mean, it extends out to every walk of life. Just within the realm of sports and within my own personal life, I read that and I go, yeah, that, that reminds me of when I was trying to change my golf swing early on in my amateur golf career and I had more of a descending swing. And if you know about the golf swing, the driver swing and the iron swing are both slightly different. One you want to hit on the upswing and one you want to hit on the downswing. And it's a very minute difference that is really hard to grasp early on. And so I didn't. And so I say, "Ah, I'm hitting my irons well, but I'm just popping my drivers straight up in the air and I need to change this. And so I work on this and I go to people who know and I say, how do I swing a driver more so I don't just hit pop flies that go 50 yards straight up in the air. I go, well, you're hitting down on the ball and you can't do that with a driver. So you need to change your driver swing and you need to hit more up on it. So I shift that and I go, this is great. Now I'm hitting my drivers further and farther. The unintended consequence, unfortunately the time, because I'm early on and my brain can't grasp it yet is, well, now I'm trying to sweep up more on my irons. So what used to be a descending blow, which you need to hit a golf ball with an iron is now more of a sweep and I'm hitting more blades and I'm hitting them not as clean. There's unintended consequences that go into every decision that you make, period, in life. And in college football, when it comes to these major, major, major seismic shifts, there are consequences that we understand in real time, and there are a lot of unintended consequences that come about down the road. And like Sabin says, it's only after the fact that we're able to understand and comprehend them. 
So conference realignment, we start to examine kind of the unintended consequences that go into that idea. And when I think about this, you know, the question that I can't stop asking myself is just, does this make college football more or less interesting? Are there more people who are interested in this newer version of college football than in the past or vice versa? If OU goes to tech or if OU and Texas go to the SEC and all of the power consolidates in these already powerful conferences and the same powerhouse teams are playing one another every single year, is that more appealing and interesting than what a lot of people thought made college football appealing and interesting in the past, including myself? Now, this really hovers around one particular area, one that I, again, have been thinking about a lot lately, kind of the beating heart and soul of college football in the past, upsets. Uh, this diversity in schools and systems and conferences, and you'd get them playing one another, and it created a really compelling product because you never really knew what was going to happen. A lot of the times, the power team would just blast this up-and-coming team or a team from the MAC or Sunbelt or whatever, but every so often, college football kind of came together for one of these magical experiences. So as I'm thinking about this, I think of a couple games in the past that happened within the same calendar year um, that really embodied that version of college football, one that I think an unintended consequence of conference realignment really with this new OU Texas shift is going to kind of eliminate. It's sitting around on these Saturdays and not knowing which game is going to jump out. And then as you're watching it and the entire college football is watching it, you hone in on the one thing and you go, oh, this is turning into uh, an incredibly memorable game and one that I would not have guessed in advance. So the first game that I think of is one of the all-time college football games, 2007 Fiesta Bowl. Um, Boise State against Oklahoma. Boise State, they're ranked number nine going to the game. They were the WAC champion, uh, one of the smaller conferences. Oklahoma, they're ranked number eight. They're the Big 12 champion, one of the power conferences. It's kind of that clash, small versus big, David Goliath, whatever you want to call it. Oklahoma's a seven and a half point favorite. It's the Fiesta Bowl. It doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of who's going to win the national title. And indeed, a week later on that same field in Tempe, Arizona, Ohio State and Florida play for the national title. I'm actually at that game. And that's the game that, funnily enough, gets lost in the shuffle. The game that was supposed to mean everything, I don't think a lot of people will ever remember or tie it into this particular time because what bubbled up to the surface, um, what really just the cream rises to the top, it was Boise State, Oklahoma. It was a game that as it was happening, there's trick play after trick play. I mean, you can't even imagine what's going into this game. Boise State seems like they're calling every trick play on planet Earth down the stretch. It's fourth and 18. They're down seven with 18 seconds to go. They run the famous hook and ladder down the sideline. They're diving into the end zone uh, with virtually no time on the clock to force overtime. I'm getting more texts on my phone for that game than any college football game I've ever gotten, excluding Nebraska games, just because everybody knows how much I love that team. But like people are coming out of the woodwork that I haven't heard from in years that are texting me at this time going, this Boise State-Oklahoma game is nuts. I can't believe this. Is this supposed to be a good game? And I'm texting back going, no, no, not at all. I didn't even expect this to be a football game, much less what would become an iconic game and moment in the history of college sports. You have the Statue of Liberty play. 
to end the game. Again, this is already after Boise State's called another trick play in overtime on fourth and goal to score a touchdown, to cut it to one. And now they decide to go for two. Chris Peterson's coaching him at the time. He's playing with house money. He says, we don't have anything to lose. We're the WAC champion. Nobody thinks that we're good. Everybody thought Oklahoma would pummel us. Let's call another trick play. Statue of Liberty. Jared Zabransky takes a pass, holds it behind his back. Ian Johnson's running the other way. <laughs> Watching it live, you don't really process until he's running with the ball what's fully happening. And then you see he has the angle. He's getting the pylon. He's going into the end zone. It's over. Boise's won. Everybody's freaking out. Again, total iconic game and moment in the history of college sports. <laughs> Ian Johnson himself, the guy who scores the game-winning two-point conversion, Less than 10 minutes later, he's down on one knee on national TV. He's proposing to his girlfriend, who's a cheerleader for Boise State at the time. Like, all of this stuff is what college football was to someone like me. It was that upsets matter. It was that all of these weird things can go into a game, things that you would never in a million years see in an NFL game. And it created this really unique, appealing product that couldn't be replicated anywhere else. It was kind of the definition of college football for me. If people would ask, why do you like this sport so much? That is one of the things I would reference. I would say, there was this game that the stakes were literally nothing. They were just playing. Nobody, it was the end of the season. It was the Fiesta Bowl. In present day, I mean, you'd see a bunch of people from both sides sitting out this game, waiting for the NFL draft, all that kind of stuff. Adrian Peterson, he's playing tailback for Oklahoma. There's no way he's playing in a game like that. Um, and instead, you just had a night that nobody who was a part of will ever forget. So you go back to conference realignment and you say, how are we going to get games like that? How is it possible to get a game like that in a sport where the divide will increase and where it's possible that, yes, the haves, the gap between the haves and have-nots is now greater, but it's possible that we just don't even have them playing one another. They're in entirely separate sports, doing their own separate thing. Much like FCS now is out doing their own thing compared to FBS, that kind of stuff. Um, I think that's one of the unintended consequences that comes about from shifts like this. Within that same calendar year, that game is the first week of 2007 in January. And week one of that following season, 2007. Appalachian State against Michigan. Another iconic moment, another iconic game that centers around this idea of upsets and this idea that they matter in some way, shape, or form because they can be so unexpected and you really don't know when they're going to hit. And it's week one and I'm already fired up for all of these games and there's no possible way on planet earth that anybody, myself included, was looking at that week one slate and saying, Appalachian State, yeah, they've been a great FCS team, but they're an FCS team. And we don't really even know a lot about FCS at the time because there's not ESPN+. Plus. There's not a lot of ways to watch games like that. But I know a lot about Michigan. They've been a Big Ten power for all of time. Uh, they're one year removed from having a playing game to the national title. Uh, number one versus number two, Michigan-Ohio State. They lose that game, but still, very successful program. They're hosting Appalachian State in the big house. It's going to be a rollover. We know they're just going to cream them. And then Appalachian State jumps out to a lead, and it's nip and tuck in the fourth. And Appalachian State takes the lead. They kick a field goal with under a minute to go. You have the iconic moment of that game where Michigan lines up for a field goal to win. Appalachian State blocks it. They pick it up. They're running down the sideline. They get tackled. There's no time on the clock. 
they're running out. They're waving the flag around, the big Appalachian State thing. The college football world's freaking out. And it's another one of those, this is the beating heart and soul of college football. Again, upsets matter. And not only do they matter, there's the capacity for them to exist because we have matchups like this. We don't have all the powerhouse teams playing one another every single game for all of time. We have these just bizarre matchups. Why would Appalachian State be playing Michigan? Who North Carolina and Ann Arbor, Michigan? FCS, FBS. But that's what existed. Uh, and that was a really, really big draw of the sport for me. And that's one as the playoff has been instituted and that's kind of been slowly weeded out. That's part of why my interest in the sport has been slightly diminished. Upsets mattered greatly and everybody loved them. And in present day, they matter slightly less. So in 2016, this is two years after the 14 playoff is instituted. Um, I wasn't fully prepared for this shift from when these upsets arise out of the blue and the entire college football world hones in, everybody changes the channel over to what's the game going on? Well, get me Michigan against Appalachian State. I wasn't prepared for what the 14 playoff would bring to the table because in that year, early November, Clemson's playing Pittsburgh, Clemson's undefeated. They'd played for the national title a year prior. They'd lost to Alabama in a very close game. They would go on to win the national title in 2016. And they're hosting Pittsburgh. It's supposed to be just a blowout. Again, one of those games that it's on TV, but you're going to stop paying attention after the first quarter because Clemson will be up by four touchdowns. Actually, it's a close game. And then actually, Pittsburgh's leading into the fourth. And actually, Deshaun Watson's throwing another interception. And actually, Pittsburgh, they're kicking a field goal to go up by one. And the game's over. And Pittsburgh's won. And I remember watching this game. And it was exciting because I had money on it. And it was exciting because it was unexpected. But when I thought about the terms of how it would affect this season, it didn't hold the same lure as that Michigan game against Appalachian State in week one, which was Michigan is playing for its life in the national title race right now in week one. Uh, Clemson, first week of November, normally that would be, you can't lose this game or you're not playing for the national title. Instead, I was very aware, and the college football world was very aware while they were watching it, while Pittsburgh was winning this game, that, mm, Clemson's okay. They just need to win out, which they inevitably did just by hammering a bunch of ACC teams and they'll make the playoff and they can still go through that as they did and they can still win the national title in a very memorable game against Alabama as they did. Um, it, in my opinion, that's a game that should have been an all-time classic, one that would have fallen into this same vein of the past. Oh, that upset, I remember that. That kept this team from playing for the national title or this completely diminished their chances of playing in the national title game. But I never really felt that sense of urgency watching the game because I knew that Clemson could afford to lose. Um, again, unintended consequences. Uh, this seems like where we're headed even more so. A shift in the 14 playoff. That has kind of signaled where we're headed, what the future is going to be like. And I think that only increases as these realignment dominoes fall and we have a consolidation of power even more so and even if expansion happens, I think that that's the future of this sport. So I want to read two more quotes that kind of illustrate this gap that has been happening during the playoff era. 
this gap that is widening between the haves and the have-nots, and one that I think is really going to widen even further the more that conference realignment continues to occur. So the first one comes from Ari Wasserman at The Athletic. In the modern world of college football, a recruiting problem has resulted in a gap that continues to widen between the haves and the have-nots. In the 2021 recruiting cycle, 52 of the top 100 players in the 24-7 sports composite went to one of five schools. Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, LSU, and Georgia are hogging all of the talent, and those teams, not coincidentally, have rosters built to compete for national titles. That is why the college football playoff field seems to be the same every year. End quote there, and this takes us into a quote from David Ubben of The Athletic. Each year, 127 teams have fought for the right to join Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson on the highest stage. When four programs, also including Oklahoma, which is 0-4 in the college football playoff, combined for 20 of 28 playoff bids, and the other 126 programs have combined to make eight appearances, this is a problem. Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson, and to some degree Oklahoma, began to have an impossible-to-counter recruiting chip. If you don't come here, your odds of competing in the playoff are pretty minimal. The gap between the haves and have-nots grew, and prying five stars away from those programs has only gotten harder. End quote. So I start thinking about unintended consequences again, because that's what I've been thinking about for this sport. And I really reflect on the institution of the 14 playoff, which happened in 2014, and the unintended consequences that arose from that decision. Now, I was anti-playoff at the time, and I've become more so as time has gone on. Again, I think the stuff that made college football great and appealing and distinctive compared to other sports, they were not tied into a playoff. There were a lot of that stuff I'm talking about from 2007. And making things matter that in present day, it's impossible to matter because all that matters in present day is the national title race. Now, even being anti-playoff in 2014, I wasn't really prepared for how little I would care about the national championship race as it played out over the course of years into present day in 2021. In 2014, yeah, it felt exciting when that playoff first happened. And then sooner rather than later, it became decidedly not exciting because the same teams which recruit the best, which have the best teams from a talent perspective, they're continually making the college football playoff every single year. And there are the ones who are continually winning the national title every single year. Because when you afford teams like that a slip-up, as Clemson was afforded in 2016 when they lost to Pittsburgh, and they know that we have to win from here on out, they're just going to come and dump truck teams. That's how the more talented teams work. However, in, in the past era when there was no playoff, you felt that pressure every single game. And out of the blue, you could have a game where, oh no, Michigan's playing Appalachian State for their national title lives in week one. And you would never expect that in a million years if you're Michigan. How do you respond within that situation? And if you crumble and lose your entire season from a national title perspective, it's over in week one. That was such a compelling product. That's what I loved about college football. And as the playoff has gone on over the years, I think we've really seen the unintended consequences of instituting a 14 playoff. It's that there is no do or die feeling in the vast majority of games. You can always afford to lose and still make the playoff. And if you can do that and you have teams like 
Alabama and Ohio State and Clemson and Georgia and Oklahoma who have really widened the gap from a recruiting perspective, then those are the teams that are going to make the playoff because they'll only slip up once. You allow the most talented teams a hiccup, it kind of takes away what college football was in the past, the every week playoff, where week one mattered or week 12 mattered, where you could lose your national title hopes at the end of August or at the end of November, all that kind of stuff. And again, it ties into this reoccurring theme that was an unintended consequences or an unintended consequence of the playoff and one that I think will definitely be one of conference realignment. The gap between the haves and the have-nots increases. So this is interesting because I don't think anybody really saw this coming, myself included, an anti-playoff person. Because the 14 playoff, it was supposed to provide the exact opposite. It was supposed to give an opportunity to all these other teams and say, hey, in the past, Boise State got boxed out from just this two-team national title race and they'd finished third some years and they were always floating around. But now it's a 14 playoff and theoretically, that opens the door to a lot more teams. And that has not been true. It actually just opened the door to a select few teams. Uh, and the playoff committee, they're not going to choose UCF when they're undefeated because that's not how college football works. It's never how it's worked. They've never cared about teams that are not coming from places of power, uh, the Blue Blood programs. They're always going to choose a one-loss Clemson over UCF. They're always going to choose a one-loss Oklahoma or one-loss Alabama or one-loss Ohio State. They're always going to choose a team like that in a four-team playoff. So a lot of talk this offseason uh, that playoff is going to be expanded to 12 teams. And it's supposed to cure that because now teams that thought, well, this is even more pointless than it was before. At least before, people cared about conference races. They cared about these bizarre upsets and they cared about just these weird who the hell knows what's going on on a Wednesday night in October style of games. And now the way that media has shaped the coverage of the game and the way that uh, the power brokers within the sport have shaped the game. The only thing that matters is the national title race. We don't want to talk about anything else. Well, a 12-team playoff, it's supposed to cure that. It's supposed to inject more passion and enthusiasm from all these fan bases that have kind of been left by the wayside. Uh, give you incentive to pay attention more and you care more about your team longer than the season because in the past, yeah, you couldn't make a 14 playoff, but now you could make a 12 team playoff. It's that dangling lure that's always there within college football that a lot of times is just kind of a mirage. It's there to pretend like there's a seat at the table for a lot of teams. And then we see it play out and we realize the consequence of this action is that we're in the same spot we were before. Uh, the teams that had power still have power and actually more so now. And that will still probably be true a decade from now. We see that every single realignment shift within this sport. So all of this kind of speculation about a 12-team playoff and about all of this futuristic stuff with college football, this was before the announcement of Oklahoma and Texas, which I hear that and I go, okay, this is a very different sport. We have a 12-team playoff and... 10 of those spots are filled by SEC teams and Big Ten teams, the two power broker conferences within this sport. What, is, what does that look like? And why are we trying to pretend like all these teams have a seat at the table and have a shot to exist within this particular version of college football? And it goes back to the unintended consequences of conference realignment. So I, I've said this before, I'm always going to watch quality football if it's being played. 
So whatever the version of the sport is moving forward, I'm sure I will be watching, but there's no way I will have the emotional connection to it that I had in 2007 when Boise State, Oklahoma was going down and Appalachian State, Michigan, and just all of these things that made college football unique and great at the time. There's no possible way that you can get that moving forward. It's the unintended consequences of the playoff itself, the lessened interest, which is interesting because, again, it was supposed to provide the exact opposite. Um, and it made it less appealing because it just gave these blue bloods who recruit phenomenally, significantly better than every other program, your Bamas, your Ohio States, your Oklahoma, it just gave them a continual seat at the table. It's just four spots are there, three are reserved for these teams, and the other one's reserved for Georgia or LSU or whoever the other great recruiting power is that pops up this year. So now, again, this is stuff that's percolating through my mind as I think about in present day, as I thought about on last week's show, as I will think about as we get into the season, you know, what are the unintended consequences of this decision of realignment of OU and Texas going to the SEC? How many areas of college football are going to be affected by this transition and what will remain? There are so many moving pieces. It's, again, almost impossible to comprehend. So I can theorize. For days and days, I'm sure I will do so again on this show, but we'll go back to Nick Saban's quote because he put it just absolutely picture perfect. No one can honestly tell you what is going to happen. Thank you for listening to No Baller. This show is produced by Weston Tanner and can be consumed in a variety of ways. You can download it as a podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or the platform of your choice. You can also view it in video form via the Beehive TV app, which can be downloaded on Apple, Google, Roku, and Amazon Fire. For more information, go to noballer.com.